Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Morning, church. How are we all going? That is good. It's so good to be here at church with you guys this morning. Who loves church? It's awesome because it's Jesus and we're all a part of the family of believers and just want to say a huge welcome to, to all of us, but especially newcomers and visitors. I know that um, Lynn and Brian Codlin are here somewhere. It's awesome to see you and Huddy's back, so it's cool to see you and um, just, uh, yeah, just pray that you've made to feel so much like family this morning. So for those that don't know me, my name's Simon Drake. I lead the church uh, with my amazing wife, Christy, and a great team of people. And it's an absolute privilege to be able to do what we do. I also want to say a huge welcome to everyone watching this live um, or watching this after it's been live. It's so cool to have you um, here as well. Um, so, yeah, we've had a great week. Still getting over, feeling unwell. So um, forgive me if I cough and splutter through this morning. I am on the mend, and thank you for your prayers. But um, who, who loved last week with Pastor Steve Miller and, and Susan from New Life uh, Monaco, they were awesome. And for our journey as Renew Church, an independent church, we're really um, seeking relationship with a wider family of churches, and we're really feeling led to um, look at and connect with New Life Churches New Zealand. So um, we've been taking you along the journey, so um, visiting and, and meeting new people. Christy and I were in Auckland this week um, at a, at a lead pastor's training day for New Life Pastors in Auckland, where we learned about um, how to really celebrate different ethnicities in the church. So that was awesome. So we're really enjoying this journey, and there's a conference in Wellington the annual New Life Conference happening in October, I think it is, um, September. And so a lot of us are going down there. You are more than welcome to, to come along as well if you, if you want to do that. It's just going to be amazing. So yeah, a little bit about our journey, and we're really excited about becoming a part of uh, a bigger church family. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I started a series called The Slide, and really looking at... Um, why people fall away from God and, and, and why people turn their back on God and why people struggle with that. Um, the biblical word is backsliding, although we don't hear that word much um, these days. And uh, a bit of a heavy, heavy topic, but one we really need to understand because um, it could pr- probably be the biggest um, weapon that the enemy has in his arsenal of, of slowly drawing people away from relationship with God. So it's important that we are um, educated about this and informed and warned. It's, warned, it's part of my job um, as a pastor to, to really sort of uh, warn us as to how easy that slippery slide can be. Um, so that was the first week where we had a guest speaker last week. And I just want to have a look at this um, word called deconstruction this morning. And it might be a two-parter. But um, in recent years, there's been a, a cultural... Christian phenomenon happening um, where good people that have brought up, been brought up in great Christian homes and going to amazing Bible-believing churches and have been connected into church for many, many years, um, their life is going well. For whatever reason, they've decided to call it quits on the, on the Christian faith, and they've used this word to describe their journey of deconstructing or dismantling or deconverting their faith. And, f- I mean, the 
the reasons are many. Maybe they are struggling with the concept of hell, or maybe they've got LGBTQI plus friends and they just can't work out what to do there. Um, and or people have experienced um, had a bad experience with with church or been hurt by a pastor or they have been to university and they weren't prepared for the bombardment of different worldviews, or um, you know, they're, just, they're just tired of the church politics. Or, I mean, there's so many reasons, um, but this is a phenomenon that is happening right now. So many, and it's the, the numbers are staggering. So many people, um, mostly younger adults, unfortunately, have decided or are deciding to deconstruct and to pull apart their faith. And many of them will say, well, I still love Jesus, but I don't like the church anymore. Or I still love Jesus, but I don't agree with Christian values. Um, and this is heartbreaking. Like, I wasn't prepared for perhaps the toll on myself personally as I've been preparing this because, like, I haven't set out to think, okay, I just hate all the deconstructed Christians in the world, and I'm just going to tell them why they're all wrong and just, like, prove them wrong. Like, that hasn't been my heart before. My heart has been grieved. Why has that been? Because I know so many good um, people that have decided to uh, travel down this path. I was a youth pastor for 14 years, so um, I won't say many, but... A few of those um, young people that I poured my heart out to and I mentored, um, they've decided, to, and good, good people have decided to just turn away from Jesus. So my heart, many, many sleepless nights, and my, my heart, I've just been praying for these people. So for my motivation as a pastor, it's not like a, you guys are wrong and you're stupid and why are you doing this? It's, it's just, I know families that uh, they're heartbreaking because of this. They've got kids that um, are going down this journey. That People have brothers and sisters. We all have friends, and we all probably know people that um, have decided to deconstruct their faith. So I want to have a look at this word, um, the origin of the word. Why is it so important to know the origin and where this word came from? Because this word deconstruction, it wasn't around 10, 15 years ago. Like we never, if someone turned away or walked away or struggled with their faith, we never ever used the word deconstruction. Um, but it's just a word that we've grabbed a hold of and adopted um, as, as, as the Christian faith to, to describe what's happening. So we need to understand the origin of the word. I want to have a look at um, why that is important and why I believe it's unwise for Christians to try and Christianize that word. Um, I also want to have a look at the reasons why people deconstruct. And honestly, it all comes down to what does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, have we answered that question recently? As believers, as a church, what does it really mean to be a Christian? And then going to wrap up this, um, this morning with actually asking ourselves whether we're far away from God or very close to God, we're going to finish with communion, just ask some very heart-searching questions um, that'll hopefully um, teach us a lot about where we're at with, with Jesus. So is that all good? Yeah. Um, the origin of the word, like, Origins of words are incredibly important, and I believe words carry worldviews. So you, you get a word, and however that word was created, it has its own culture, it has its own characteristics, it has its own personality. Some people would say it has its own spirit, and I really do believe 
that this word deconstruction has its own worldview. As people adopt this word to describe their experience or their struggle, they so often um, take on the characteristics of that word. So we need to learn where this word came from originally. It was invented by a postmodern philosopher called Jacques Derrida in the 60s. Um, so Jacques Derrida, postmodern philosopher, applied postmodern philosopher, which is he didn't just talk about what it means to live in a postmodern world. He actually wanted to see it happen. Um, and there are three main characteristics of this word deconstruction. He invented this word deconstruction and deconstructionalism, and it simply means this um, in its core form: the reevaluation of all Western values. Jacques Derrida didn't like. Um, Western politics, Western morale, um, basically it's been built on Christian values and he didn't like those at all. So he created this term um, and quite passionate to dismantle Western traditional values. So first point, when we look at this word deconstruction, it's steeped in, it's an anti-Christian word. Um, very, very anti-Christian in its values. Um, the reevaluation of all Western values. Um, all philosophers, they have their heroes, and Jacques Derrida is one of his heroes, is a guy called Friedrich Nietzsche, um, who's not a nice man at all. He was around in the mid-1800s, and two of his main concepts in philosophy was God is dead and don't be a Christian. So the guy that invented this word deconstruction, his hero was Francis uh, Friedrich, sorry, Nietzsche. Why is that important? Uh, Nietzsche wrote a paper called God is Dead, and I'll quote, the belief in the Christian God has become unbelievable. Everything that was built on this faith, propped up by it, grown into it, including the whole of European morality, is bound to collapse. So the very core of this word deconstruction, it is an anti-Christian word, and it's very anti-Christian values. It's so much aligned with secular humanism. So a Christian who embraces deconstruction and I think this is a bit of a smoking gun. You very soon or quickly see in their life, their value system changes, uh, it departs from traditional Christian values, and it becomes much more aligned with the values that are in vogue of the day, um, secular humanism. So, okay, we're looking at this word, deconstruction. Why isn't it a good word? It's anti-Christian. Secondly, um, problematization. Derrida considered deconstruction to be the problematization of the foundation of law, morality, and politics, and literature. What does that mean? A core fundamental belief of this philo philosophical thoughts about deconstruction thought about deconstruction, was that you needed to be a problemist. You needed to find the problem with everything. You had a preset notion or an idea that wherever you looked at law or morals or traditions or religion or Christianity or church or literature or arts, you would always seek first to find the problems with it. So what is a benchmark and a characteristic of Christians that are deconstructing their faith? They are so quick to find and point out the problems in everything, especially church. They say, I still love Jesus, but man, I don't like the church because I've seen the ugly underbelly of church, and I see the politics of church, and I see the, uh, all of that, and I'm just wanting... Like, the thing is, it's self-fulfilling. If you're going to set out to find the problem with something, or in something, you will always find the problem with something. Church is full of problems because you're a part of church. Well, I'm a part of church. People have problems. Um, 
And so people that are deconstructing, they would have come in here this morning perhaps and judged and found the problems with our lyrics, found the problems with how we're doing culture, find the problems with uh, maybe even just pulling apart my message. And a lot of them do this. They find sermons like this and they just do a, a YouTube um, critique on, on how bad the sermon is about deconstruction. So first of all, it's an anti-Christian word. Secondly, they are used and they are trained to find the problems. And this isn't new. Going back to Nazareth when Jesus was, was preaching in his hometown, um, the people there, they, they were problematizing. Um, oh, who is this? Isn't he Joseph's son? His, his, his family's here with us. They took offense at him. They were finding the problems with Jesus. Um, there's a biblical word for it. It's called unbelief. Just being negative about everything. If you want to find the problems with something, you are definitely going to find the problems with something. And thirdly, Derrida believed that the meaning resided with the reader. Okay, core fundamental beliefs of this word deconstruction. It's anti-Christian um, and its values, problematization, and truth is relative. Derrida believed that the meaning or the interpretation always resided with the reader. Never resided with the author. It always resided with the reader. If you were going to find truth in something, it was relative to you. It was how you interpreted the text, whether it was uh, literature or art or uh, a traditional Western value. It was all up to you as how you interpreted it, which is completely not the way we should be studying the Bible. The Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Um, for example, the New Testament letters, um, how are we as astute Bible students, uh, how to interpret that? We actually look at what was the Apostle Paul trying to say with, to the church in Corinthian? Um, what was the issues that he was dealing with? Um, what was his culture? Who was his audience? What was he trying to say? And then we learn the interpretation from that. I dare not think, well, yeah, Paul, he wrote that, but I want to make up my own interpretation. Um, I want to, like, I don't agree with that because it doesn't fit into how I think God should be. And so I'm just going to make up my own interpretation. Truth will be relative. And I tell you what, that's happening all over the world right now. Anyone that's usually in their 30s or 40s and they know how to upload a podcast or YouTube and they've got a subscription to Relevant Christian Magazine or something, it's like, okay, I know what the text absolutely means. I don't care about the last 2,000 years of church history and all the, all the great Christian scholars that actually know a lot more than me. I've got a very emotional journey, and I want to tell the whole world why I've deconstructed my faith and why Paul wasn't meaning that when he was saying that, that he was meaning this and how I interpret it. That's the truth for me. Three things about deconstruction and the word anti-Christian and its values problematization, finding the problems and everything, especially church, and three, truth is relative. And then you've got a lot of Christians and pastors that they want to redeem this word. It's like, well, shouldn't we, we, we understand that we struggle and we doubt and we go up and down and sometimes we, we've learned things that are a little bit wrong, so we want to redeem this word and, and it's good to deconstruct things that are wrong and reconstruct. And so they've used this word, and I just say, like, there's nothing redeemable about this word. We've never needed to use it before. Let's not Christianize a word that is anti-Christian. There are so many better words to use it. I admit, yes, we go through struggles. We have doubts. We should be asking questions, but this word deconstruction is not, or deconstructing my faith is not a good word, in my opinion, to use. We shouldn't use it. What's a better word? I'm reforming my faith. 
Like reformation, it's actually a positive word, like deconstruction, like you're pulling something apart, you're not putting it back together. But reforming is an incredible word. It's a Christian word, and it's steeped in great Christian um, heritage and history. The the great reformation, it was calling um, a backslidden church back to what the Bible was saying and the truth of the word of God. It was using the Bible as a measuring stick to, to hold people to account. So I've got nothing wrong at all. We need to be asking questions. We need to ask these questions if we're struggling. Um, It's just life. But let's understand that reformation is a much better word at our heart. I want to reform my faith. I want to get back to the beginning, the foundational truth of it. I want to reform it to return to the Bible. There's another great word, which is revive. Revival is all about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Those two components, whenever we're struggling in life, whenever we're learning stuff, um, whenever we're wanting to get closer with God, it's a reformation, a return to the Bible, and it's a revival, a return to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people are saying, well, deconstruction, it's a reformation. I don't believe that because, in my opinion, so many, most if not all of people that grab a hold of this word deconstruction and take real ownership of it, they're not returning to the truth of the Bible. They're hardly reading the Bible anymore. They're choosing to read a lot of people's opinions on the Bible. And secondly, and I hope this doesn't come across as a judgment, I don't think that they're allowing or passionate about inviting the person of the Holy Spirit The Holy Spirit is not a force, it's a person into their life to revive them. Coming to God humbly and desperately saying, God, I am struggling. I need your help. Holy Spirit, please do something in me. I feel like I'm dying spiritually. I need to be revived. I need to be reformed. So I, for one, I'm not going to use the word deconstruction. I don't think that word needs to be Christianized or baptized as a cool Christian word. I'm never going to say, yeah, I've been deconstructing some things. I've just been learning. I want to be close to Jesus. I want to reform my faith. I want to revive my faith. So then why are people deconstructing? Uh, Why to good Christian people? And I, I know many of them, and they've had incredible encounters with God, and they're amazing people, and I love them, and my heart breaks for them. Um, why are people going down this path? Most of them, the majority of them, are people that have been brought up in a great Christian home, um, and and they've had the the blessing of Christian heritage. So why are people deconstructing? Why is this such a popular thing today? Why you can just Google now on YouTube, you know, my deconstruction story and find people with millions of views and you know, thousands of comments as to thank you so much for telling me your deconstruction story because I have deconverted from my faith also. Why is this a big thing right now? I think it's like um, when you grow a seed or a plant, it needs to have fertile soil, right? There needs to be components in that soil. There needs to be some characteristics in that soil to, to be conducive for that seed to grow. And I think there are a few things foundationally that are there in the soil of people's lives that make it very tempting for them to start to go down this track. And I'm just going to blow my nose for a second. Is that all good? And I might cover more, but these are two that I think probably, and in my experience with listening, and I've listened to a lot of people, um, you know, listening online with their deconstruction story and knowing people personally, Two main ones, and I think there is more. Actually, I think there are three main ones. Church hurt, disappointed in God, and 
bad Bible knowledge, but the first two, I think, are very important. Church hurt and disappointed in God. So why are people deconstructing, number one? Church hurt. They have been bitterly hurt by church, or they've been in a toxic church culture, or they've been hurt by someone in church, usually someone in leadership, number one, church hurt. And I want to say from the get-go, church hurt is real. It's not good, and it's not pretty, and it shouldn't be there, but church hurt is real. Why? Because we're a community of believers, and wherever there is a community of people, there are people at different varying degrees of healing and wholeness. Um, A lot of us are broken and hurt, and broken and hurt people break and hurt other people, especially when the pressure comes on. Um, Every pastor I know, they're amazing, but there are some pastors, and and they shouldn't be pastors, and they're power-hungry, and they're narcissists, and so there's that as well. And Some churches are just not a healthy church, so I understand all that. I think we're living in a time where um, people are being called out and, and called to give an account, and I think that's really important, but I just want to say church hurt is real. I also want to say this, and I'm passionate about this, deconstruction is a false cure for church hurt. It is not the cure for church hurt. It's like someone on the battlefield and they've been shot, and then someone taking out some essential oils and rubbing it on their foot um, as a cure. Um, That's not the right cure for a a bullet hole. It's probably not the right cure for anything. Um, But just... Got to just throw it out there. Come on. Got to keep it real this morning. So church hurt is real. Deconstruction is a false cure. Then what is the cure for church hurt? And you may not like this answer, but I think it's a right and biblical answer. Lament is the cure for church hurt. What do I mean by lament? Uh, Have a look at the book of Psalms. Have a look at David. And if there was anyone in the Bible that um, was under a very toxic, narcissistic, evil leader in Saul, it was David. What did David do? He went and he poured his heart out to the Lord. And he was hurting and he was struggling. And obviously Saul had to, uh, Saul was judged. It didn't end well for Saul at all. God, God had his number. But with David, he went and he just poured out his heart to the Lord. And I think we haven't been very good at that as the modern church. When things happen and we've been hurt, actually going to God first and saying, God, this is hard. I need your help. And pour out your soul to the Lord. So my story, um, being a senior pastor for 11 years, before that 14 years as a youth pastor, 14 years full time. Um, So if anyone had the opportunity of being hurt or being misunderstood or being in like usually we all go through the test of offense and God uses people in authority usually to offend us. Uh, So 14 years of being able to have some good stories, I guess, of of being hurt, not saying that leaders um, are any good or worse than any other leaders. It's just part of life when you're involved in church culture. uh, Sometimes people have a bad day. Sometimes they make a judgment call. You don't feel it's the right call. Sometimes you disagree. Sometimes there's conflict, um, and we all probably have been in there. So I know what it's like to serve in uh, an environment where, you know, the temptation is real to get hurt. Um, but I also know what it's like to be a senior pastor and be on the other end. And, like, again, senior pastors don't wake up in the morning and think, okay, man, who am I going to hurt this morning? Who am I going to offend? Who Like, look through the church directory, okay, Johnny, I haven't heard him in a while. I'm going to hack him off. This. Like, we don't ever think that. 
Usually someone comes and says, Simon, I want you to do something, or can you do this? And it's like, well, no, I don't actually feel to do that. So they get a bit grumpy at you because you're not doing what they want. Um, but this is just part of life, church culture. Um, there is hurt. Again, there is toxic church churches, and those need to be um, revived and reformed. But church hurt is real, and sometimes this happens and, and, and compounds in people's lives. They have different experiences they see a bad culture in a church, or they know a loved one that they are going through a, a hurting church experience. Like this, this question, my pastor hurt me. Does that mean that all pastors hurt people? Like we went to a McDonald's recently, and it was the worst McDonald's experience in the history of our McDonald's experiences. It was just terrible. Do I judge every McDonald's experience and every McDonald's restaurant based on that one five-minute bad drive-through? Like, then do I judge every fast food restaurant on the world based on one bad experience? No, that's, that's silly. But why do we do this um, in church? Why do people say, right, I had a bad experience with this pastor or this church, therefore the whole of the church and how Jesus set it up is wrong and bad. I still love Jesus, but I don't like his church. Church hurt, the, the cure for that is lament, going before God. Secondly, disappointed in God. A disappointment is like you were looking forward to an appointment. You, were, you had your hopes set on something that God would do something for you, and whatever, for whatever reason, it didn't happen. Um, a disappointment, that appointment didn't happen, and you can carry a bit of disappointment. Maybe you had high hopes for your life and your career, and you were just believing for God to do something, and it didn't happen. Maybe, you know, you've been believing your whole life to get married, and you're maybe 50, and you still haven't gotten married, or maybe you've been desperate to have kids, and you haven't had kids yet, or maybe, yeah, you were, why did my parents break up? I wanted them to get back together, or someone, you know, you were believing for healing, and it didn't happen. It's a disappointment, and we can carry bitter disappointments in our life as believers. It's like this monster, this ugly monster, smelly monster comes in and takes up residence in the living room in your heart, and it's just there, and it makes you sad, and it's this disappointment, and it's there so long that it just becomes a part of your personality um, and your identity, and it just sits there, and God's let you down, and and why God, and, and you carry this for, for years and you don't understand, what is the cure for disappointment? Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So often we think, well, God, you should have worked it out this way, but the Bible says trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't depend on your own understanding or how you thought or think God should have worked it out. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. If we were ever living in a time that people are very impressed with their own wisdom, it's today the Bible says don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. How do we deal with disappointments like Again, being quite transparent this morning, Christy and I didn't have an easy run the first few years of being senior pastors. We thought we were gonna, it should have been a great transition and it was a train wreck of a transition. And I, and I realized that for years I've been carrying this disappointment of why wasn't, smooth, why wasn't it smooth sailing? Why did we get deal such a hard, doubt us such a hard blow in those first few years? And I realized this was just a disappointment sitting in my spirit. 
And what did I do? Just started to you know, go for prayer walk, saying, God, this is there. This is part of my personality. I don't like it. Please, can you start to deal with it? It's a slow process, and it's not very pleasant at times. But, you know, there's a, a verse, and I can't quite remember where it is, but it's when um, Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land, and there's a, a line that says, God rolled off from Israel the reproach of Egypt. Like, he did something in that time. Like all of that they were carrying in their baggage like God did it. And I think the more we spend time with God and the more we allow God into our hearts and the more we cry out to God saying, God, I've got these things in my life, the disappointments, these offenses, I don't want them there. I want them out. Please do surgery in my life. He starts to do it. It's the process. And then you find, wow, I'm a lot more free. I've been delivered of some things. So those two things, I think, and if there's anyone listening or watching this and you are deconstructing, I would love to hear your point of view because I would say almost all, if not all, of the people that I know that have deconstructed or deconverted their faith, these two things are big parts of their life. They've been hurt by church or someone in church or by church culture or a toxic church or they know people that have been hurt. And secondly, they've been carrying a discipline like God didn't come through for them. Life hasn't worked out like they thought. There are other ones, like, uh, and I'll go into them next week, but I think those two are very important. What does it mean to be a Christian? Like, can I dismantle my faith and still follow Jesus? Can I disagree with traditional Western values and still follow Jesus? Can I be involved in behavior that the Bible teaches that's wrong and sinful and still call myself a Christian? Why, what does it really mean to be a Christian, and I've got three verses. John 5, 24, I tell you the truth. Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. In Matthew 16, 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross and follow me. Those three short passages of scripture, what does it mean to be a Christian? Number one, believe in Jesus. Number two, come to Jesus. Number three, trust in Jesus. Number four, follow Jesus. Believe in Jesus, come to Jesus, trust in Jesus, and follow Jesus. John 5, 24, it says, listen to my message and believe in God. Believe in Jesus, number one. Believe he is who he said he, he is. Believe what the Bible teaches, that he's the son of God, that he came um, and he came as God, but as a man into humanity to reconcile man to God. Believe in Jesus, who he is and what he did. Number two, come to Jesus. In Matthew 11, it says, Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus. Present yourself to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe in you, and I'm now coming to you. I'm presenting my life. I'm surrendering my life to you. Thirdly, trust in Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you 
and let me teach you that the people of the day and the culture that Jesus used that word yoke, it was his set of beliefs, his word worldview, his teachings. Take my teachings, take my interpretation of scripture, take my doctrine upon you, trust in Jesus and his words, however troubling Jesus' words are. Trust in Jesus. Like, we don't have a choice. We don't get to choose which words of Jesus we like and we're going to believe and which words of Jesus we don't like so we're not going to believe them. We don't have a choice if we want to follow Jesus. Believe in Jesus, come to Jesus, trust in Jesus, and follow Jesus. Jesus said, if any of you wants to be my follower, and this is a word that we need to hear in this day and age, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If there was ever a Bible verse that deconstructing Christians, people that think they know better than 2,000 years of church history, people that have been hurt and disappointment, and they say, I still love Jesus, but I don't love the church anymore. If there is any time a verse needed to be said, it's this. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Truth is now decided by Jesus. Truth is now decided by Jesus. If we want to truly follow Jesus, we follow him and we believe in what he says. We don't make up our own interpretation. For 2,000 years, the Christian church has declared the Bible is authoritative. You cannot call yourself a Christian and not believe in the authority of Scripture. For 2,000 years, the Christian church has declared the Bible is authoritative. You cannot call yourself a Christian and not believe in the authority of Scripture. Let's have the band up, please. When we come to Jesus, it's a laying down of my own interpretation of Scripture. And I choose to follow Jesus' interpretation of Scripture. Like I said, I don't get to choose. Or I, I choose to follow Jesus, but I don't get to choose which parts I agree with and what parts I don't agree with anymore. So we're going to sing Jesus at the center of it all, and I think that's an incredible way to finish the service. So we can all be upstanding. That would be awesome. And we're going to have communion. And I love communion. And uh, you know, we do it once a month at church, I think, great maybe if we can do that more frequently but as a response to this um, communion is an incredible symbolic thing that we do as Christians uh, the grape juice represents the blood of Jesus that was spilled out for us to, to forgive us and wash away our sins and the cracker represents the body of Jesus that was broken on the cross so that we could be fully healed and restored and made whole and Jesus did this with his closest friends before he went to the cross um, he said, do this to remember me. And it's just such a beautiful thing that we get to do as brothers and sisters in Christ, followers of Jesus, to remember what Jesus did and to real, realign our life to Jesus. Um, and it's a time where we understand some things in our life haven't been good and, and we repent and we turn away from those things and we have a fresh start. Um, communion, the core of that word is intimate communication and we get to have this incredible close relationship with Jesus. So if you're here this morning, 
um, you've never given your life to Jesus, please do that first and you can have communion. Um, For those of us that have been saved and we are saved and we are being saved, but you know there are some things in your life that need to be adjusted. It's just an amazing time where we just get to be alone with God um, in the midst of a whole lot of people and, and we get things right with God and at the same time we can sing an incredible song Jesus at the center of it all so um, you can just sing in, in your seat and you can have this during this song um, I am big on having a response to the presence of the Holy Spirit so if, if the Holy Spirit is, is you know you, you want a close relationship you want to say God I want to make a fresh start today I just invite you if you want come and kneel it at the front um, in surrender to Jesus as you um, are taking communion. That's cool as well. I'll be doing that. I love doing that. But some questions we need to ask before we have communion. Have I adopted views that move me away from traditional Christian views and move me towards values of a godless society? Have I adopted views that move me away from traditional Christian views and move me towards the values of of a godless society. Another question. Have I become a church problemist? Just wanting to find the problem with church all the time. I say I still love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Am I spending less and less time in the Bible and with the Holy Spirit? Who are my authorities? And have I switched authorities? So many people are switching their authorities in their life. It's no longer church. It's no longer the Bible. It's no longer the Holy Spirit. It's it's all these internet personalities. Um, So have I changed my authorities? And lastly, have I made God in my own image? I don't like what I read in the Bible, so I'm changing God. Like God wouldn't do that or God wouldn't say that. Um, So I'm changing the image of God into an image of God that I prefer. That's actually called idolatry, and we dare not do that. So have I adopted views that move me away from traditional Christian views and move me towards the values of a godless society? Have I become a problemist? Am I spending less and less time in the Bible And with the Holy Spirit, who are my authorities and have I made God in my own image? And I'll finish with this. Matthew Henry in the 1600s said this. The heart of man is narrow and cannot contain both loves. The more the love of the world prevails, the more the love of God dwindles and decays. Our heart was only made to contain one God, whether we serve God the Almighty or the God of this world. Our life grows from whichever source our heart is connected to. Jesus, we love you this morning. Lord, we choose to believe in you. We choose to come to you. We choose to trust you, Lord. And we choose to follow you. Holy Spirit, I want to thank you that you're here. I want to thank you that you're moving in our lives. Lord, I pray for your love and your compassion. Lord, I do pray for people that are struggling and that have answers and they're confused. I pray, Holy Spirit, invade their life. And I pray that in our search for hope and truth and love, that we would be reformers that we would have a reformation of faith based on the authority of the Bible and that we would fall in love afresh with your Holy Spirit, the person and the work of the Holy Spirit that's the only person that can revive our troubled hearts. Lord, I pray for those of us that have been bitterly disappointed and hurt. Lord, those are are big issues and I pray for healing this morning. But Lord, may we all remember that and and understand uh, very powerfully that deconstruction is a false cure that coming to you and surrendering our life and, and, and crying before you and lamenting before you is, is the answer, Lord. And I pray that you would roll off the approach of bad thinking and wrong experiences in our lives this morning. Lord, if there are 
a, a spirit of disappointment or strongholds of disappointment in our lives and hurt. Lord, I pray for healing and deliverance of your people this morning as we partake in communion. Remember the cross and what you did for us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.com.